I think the thing is that when you look at the list of basic human emotions, what you usually find is happiness, sadness, and anger's in that list too. And I think it's a fairly understandable, you know, mistake that people make that it's just another primary emotion. But in fact, I think what we're looking at when we're looking at anger is not a primary emotion at all. We're looking at the way in which we manage our feelings. You might try and soothe yourself in a number of ways, including, for example, reaching for a drink. But I don't think anybody that would reach for a drink would be able to say in any convincing way, that drink is really my feelings. Well, that's the voice of James Earle, a psychotherapist and relationship counsellor who thinks that understanding that anger is a behaviour, not an emotion, could be revolutionary for all of us. Well, I'm Liz Earle, different spelling, no relation, and this is the Liz Earle Wellbeing Show, the podcast that helps us all to have a better second half by investing in our health and our well-being today. And that, of course, includes awareness of our behaviours and our emotions and perhaps here, our own relationship with anger, maybe how it's changed over time. For me, I've had different experiences through my life and I'll talk about that in this podcast. It's been quite interesting actually to view my own thoughts about anger, both when I get angry and also being on the receiving end. So I'm keen to find out from James what actually causes anger and whether it's ever healthy as well as whether menopausal rage, perhaps due to changing hormones, is a real thing. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theatres, May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Well, welcome back, James. It's brilliant to have you back here. And I know that you've written an excellent piece, actually, for Lizzo Wellbeing magazine, all about anger. So it's great to be able to bring it to life. Thank you. Oh, it's lovely to be back. Thank you for asking me. And yes, anger is something which interests me a great deal, partly because I think psychotherapists often don't really get it about anger. So they say things like, you know, you shouldn't bottle it up or it's a good thing to express. And I have to say, I disagree with that. So it's quite an interesting uh, area to me. 
Well, we're going to talk all about anger, but I think before we get started, let's kind of make sure that we've all got the same understanding of actually what anger is before we get going, because you see anger as a self-soothing technique, not necessarily as an emotion. Emotion being things like happiness, sadness, frustration. You know, is this just semantics here or do you think there is a very real difference? I think there's a very real difference. I think the thing is that when you look at the list of basic human emotions, what you usually find is happiness, sadness, as you say, and anger's in that list too. And I think it's, you know, a fairly understandable, you know, mistake that people make that it's just another primary emotion. But in fact, I think what we're looking at when we're looking at anger is not a primary emotion at all. We're looking at the way in which we manage our feelings. There are lots of ways we can manage our feelings, but expressing them through anger is one way. And if I can give you a sort of analogy, if you were feeling frustrated or sad or upset, or I think quite often the feeling is disappointed, you might try and soothe yourself in a number of ways, including, for example, reaching for a drink. But I don't think anybody that would reach for a drink would be able to say in any convincing way, that drink is really my feelings. But when we reach for anger, we do say, I'm now feeling angry, that's my feelings. Whereas I think what we're doing with anger is actually something quite different, where we're trying to displace the things we don't want, the really uncomfortable feelings, and push them away with something that's, that's strong. So the, the really most important thing about anger is that it's a strong experience. And it's so strong, it fills up your thoughts and and, you know, your mind with, I mean, you know, when people talk about the red mist, I suppose this is what they're referring to, but you get that sort of sense that there's nothing else there. And quite often when we're doing that act of displacing feelings, the first thing we feel is a sense of sort of freedom or relief. Oh my, this is so good. I've lost it. I'm kind of really, I feel better for a second or two, not for very long, but for a second, I feel better. And I, and I think you can quite often sort of hover on the edge of anger, thinking to yourself, well, shall I lose it or am I going to just keep in control? And then when you actually let go, it feels fantastic. It may feel fantastic for you, but of course, there are a lot of casualties potentially around you. And, you know, thinking about when we are with somebody, for example, who, who does lose it and who does get angry, is it useful for us then in understanding that this person, instead of calling them an angry person, what we're really doing is describing their behaviour then and there rather than them as yeah. an individual? Yeah, we're, we're, you're absolutely right. We're not describing some sort of quality of them an aspect of their personality we're just describing what they're doing so mm. when you see somebody being angry whether it's with you or somebody else you're really witnessing somebody soothing their feelings perhaps of disappointment frustration mm. or, or a feeling of incompetence quite often and yeah yeah frustration frustration yeah. absolutely and, and and that's what you're really watching so it's not a, a primary feeling it's the way in which they're managing their feelings now trouble is of course if it's directed towards you it's yes. quite difficult to sort of stay dispassionate and just say, oh, well, that's the way you're managing your feelings. And in fact, you know, of course it can, because anger is quite disinhibiting, I mean, it can lead to danger. Um, yeah. So you have yeah. to be aware of that if it's directed towards you. But at the same time, if somebody's just getting cross, 
you can assume that what they're doing is actually trying to soothe whatever feelings they're having just before they got cross. And this is not that different from, I guess, you know, what a child does when it has a tantrum. As you'll notice, when a child has a tantrum, it's feeling something. Maybe it's feeling disappointed. It's not getting something it wants or, you know, having to do something it doesn't want to do. And you can see it tipping into the anger and the tantrum. And when it's in, in that state, sometimes, not always, but sometimes, if it goes on for a minute or two, it will forget what the original cause of that was. And then the child will start crying <laughs> because it can't yes. remember why it's, why it's angry. Oh, no. Which shows you that the anger isn't the feeling. It's the feeling they were having just before the anger. And I think adults... That is really helpful. You know, I have to say, having been, unfortunately, around a number of people in my life who have got very angry and been on the receiving end of it, which is terrifying, actually. And you feel, yeah, you know, really very scary. I, I think I would have found it really helpful if I'd been able to frame that in my mind as this is this person's behavior and it's them sort of manifesting it in rage because they feel out of control, they feel helpless. Yes. In a way, it, it, it does take that fear element out of it for the, for the bystander as well as hopefully for the person experiencing because it can't, can't be very nice to experience those rages either. No, I think when you're experiencing somebody else's anger, you know, obviously the first thing you have to do is make sure you're safe. And, you know, whatever our interpretation of what they're doing is, you know, that that's always the most important thing. But actually, you know, let's suppose they're not kind of going completely crazy they're just getting not violent yeah not violent exactly i think quite a useful thing is to sort of step back and think i don't need to be engaged with this right directly anyway because this isn't actually what they're feeling they're feeling something else now i wouldn't recommend Mm. that what you say to them is oh what are you feeling here because they'll (laughs) they'll reply pretty quickly (laughs) i'm feeling angry (laughs) and indeed of course it is it is a feeling in the sense that you know, their head is now filled up with anger instead of what they were feeling. And when they are through it, which so it usually takes maybe two, three minutes, maybe a bit longer, quite often they have a sense afterwards of it, it's a very odd feeling. There's a feeling of remorse that you lost it. And it's not so much that you did something, you know, bad when you were losing it, like, you know, punch a wall or something. I mean, that, that can, you can have remorse about that. It's actually a feeling of inauthenticity, a feeling that that wasn't quite what I was feeling. Oh, my goodness me, I lost it. Oh. Right. And you get that yes. sense of feeling a little bit, you know, and this is the same as the child having the tantrum who starts to cry because they don't know why they're That's so That's fascinating. Angry. So you, you realise that that behaviour actually wasn't you. Exactly. And it was kind of coming out of almost nowhere. I mean, do we know what's happening in the brain hormonally? Is it a, a cortisol overload that tips us over the edge to a place that we can't actually control? It's, it, well, I, I wouldn't agree with the can't control, but it is certainly an overload of, of cortisol and adrenaline. So those two, those two things are there always. And we can control them because you'll notice when you get angry with somebody, I mean, I have to say, you know, despite the way I look at anger, we have to acknowledge that everybody has the capacity to get angry. In fact, you know, very young children, even babies get angry. So it's obviously a built-in human possibility that we can get angry. But I mean, the, yeah, the whole process of getting angry is really just a soothing mechanism to try and displace what you didn't want to feel with something that feels 
you know, that just fills up your, your, your mind in a way that actually I'm using the word soothing, but it is, it's soothing when you don't feel disappointment anymore or frustration anymore or incompetence anymore. You're talking about it almost as if it's a beneficial thing, something that's a good experience. And you say that we all have the capacity to get angry, to feel anger. You know, I have to tell you, I was brought up by parents who have n- I've never seen them angry. Maybe maybe once, maybe. Right. And I then went on to marry somebody who's half Italian who had a lot of anger. So, sure. you know, I, I've got two very different experiences. So sure. for me, as a child growing up, I didn't see anger. I didn't, you know, there was no, there were never any raised voices. There was never any confrontation, which I guess is why I find it difficult to deal with now because I have no no reference for that in, in my memory. Is that a good thing or were were my parents perhaps suppressing anger and rage right. and, 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 and they would have been better off had they shown it? No, I, I don't think they would have been better off. And I think it's admirable that they didn't use anger to soothe. So although I'm trying to explain why people get angry, I'm absolutely not saying it's a good thing. And in fact, it's an unnecessary thing. Because if you say a lot of people soothe by having a drink, you don't say, therefore, drinking is necessary and good. You say, you know, a lot of people use drink to soothe themselves mm-hmm. and, you know, used in moderation, it's maybe not too harmful, but certainly it can become its own problem. So anger is something which you never need to feel. Now, that may sound extraordinary, but I would say you definitely are very likely to feel disappointment, frustration, a feeling of incompetence. But the management of that through anger is a choice. So it's not a choice you have to make. And if your parents manage to avoid using it, yeah, you know, congratulations to them. They still I, do. Yeah. yeah, I think that's, <laughs> that's absolutely fabulous. I certainly don't see it as any kind of repression or okay, negative thing at all. And I think people yeah. that, that sort of say, you, you know, you shouldn't bottle it up, it's bad for you, are just plain wrong. Because here's the proof of that. If you've decided you weren't going to be angry all week, you're normally angry, say, every day, but you're not going to be angry all week. <laughs> If you got right. angry on the last day of the week, you wouldn't be more angry because you hadn't been angry all week. Because it, 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 you can't bottle it up as a feeling. It's just the way in which you're managing it at the time. So it's always possible to choose something else. Love that. It's, yeah. it's an extraordinary statement to say you never need to be angry. But I, I don't think you ever do. I think when we're looking at other ways in which anger sometimes appears, for example, as a way of intervening in issues perhaps defending other people or expressing, you know, sort of injustice, not for oneself, but for others, then I think you might talk about a sort of righteous anger. But that's never in defense of yourself, and it's always got a very controlled Yes, and and it's perhaps a bit more considered, you know, that righteous anger. I mean, I feel hugely angry about, you know, some areas of social injustice, but I don't flare up because of that, that, you know, I've I've taken time to consider it. And if I talk about it or I get engaged, then, you know, I will become quite passionate about it. But it doesn't make me scream and shout and, you know, bang my fists on the floor. Exactly. Yeah, because you're not using that anger in the same way. You're using it to express a very strong feeling of injustice, but it's not. you're not trying to push away feelings you don't want, which is what we do, for example, in a relationship. So if your partner is angry, they're not usually uh, you know, expressing a, a considered injustice. They're usually 
ventilating and then soothing themselves yeah. through that ventilation. So then if we're saying that anger is a behaviour, it must have been learned, you know, as a coping method at some point. So therefore, it's presumably possible to unlearn anger and to find better alternatives, you know, like like shouting to the wind or punching pillows or taking up kickboxing. It's certainly, yeah, well, it's certainly possible to find other ways of soothing. In terms of whether it's something learned, that's a very interesting question. And I would maybe go back to Freud, because Freud talked about two basic instincts. One is the libido and the other is aggression. And I think probably what he would say, and I, I might agree with him, that there's the capacity for that angry response in all of us. You know, we've got the capacity to soothe ourselves by being angry. And this is why even babies can get angry. Incidentally, you know, if, if we're interpreting it as a soothing, the other way you can soothe yourself. Is, you know, for example, to play with your hair. A lot of people see themselves through touch. So touch, you know, being sort of on the more sensuous side and aggression being the other thing. It's one of the things that I think is built in. But this is the thing. I think as you grow up, if you're lucky, you have parents that don't model that for you. So although it's a built-in, you know, possibility, you don't use it very often. I think what happens with some families is that the child is learning how the adults manage their feelings. And if you see your dad, for example, getting angry, I think instinctively we know you can manage your feelings in that way and it's more likely, therefore, that you grow up to use anger too. And that's just the same as if one of your parents drinks and manages their feelings like that. You may find that, you know, this is why, for example, alcoholism seems to go down through families. It's not a gene, it's not genetic. It's the kind of adopting behavior because of learning how other people manage their feelings. The whole drama of childhood is really about, I think, how we manage our feelings. You know, we're, we're dropped into this world, in, into a family that we don't choose, and we have to try and get our needs met. And to do that, we have to work out how to manage our feelings and work out the feelings of those people around us. So what should we be teaching our children then about what anger is and, and how to deal with it when they think they feel it? So the thing that you do with children and with adults, I think, you know, in, in the same way, is to teach them to take a second before they choose to go into anger and to recognise that it's a choice they are about to make and if I can think, I can, I can give you an example of that choice. So when I was quite a lot younger than I am now, my, my daughter, who was about seven at the time, would take the orange juice and pour it into a cup while she was talking to her sister. And almost always, because she was talking to her sister, missed the cup. Right. <laughs> and sometimes I would uh... laugh. Sometimes I'd ignore it and clear it up. Yeah. Sometimes, just occasionally, I'd go ballistic. When I'm going ballistic, it's because... That day, I'm feeling particularly frazzled or I'm just feeling particularly disappointed or whatever else. And so I soothe it by deciding to go ballistic. And if you can catch that choice, shall I just go, you know, ho, 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 let's clear it up? Or shall I, <laughs> shall I yes. still be parental and yeah. whine at them? Why are you doing that? You know, you know, so please don't do that. Or should I go crazy? That's the choice. And you can teach people to recognise it, it, It's kind of like the, the straw that breaks the camel's back, isn't it? That Absolutely. you recognise that actually it's not that thing 
it's not the spilling of the orange juice that suddenly makes you totally enraged. No. It's the fact that there's been a build-up of other things before that and you are kind of on the edge perhaps by that point. And, and that, that's, that's the thing exactly that tips right. you over. And is it worth reacting in such an extreme way to something that is literally perhaps, you know, one straw in a whole heap of other, you know, straws piled into a basket? Exactly. I think the, the choice that you make to do that is probably, it's so instant that moment of choice that you don't notice it. And then when you're in the anger, it then feels justified because what you feel is what you did made me angry. And as soon as you're in that, you feel justified and you feel like you're not choosing it. It was, it was forced on you, you know, but of course this, this isn't actually true. What's actually true is that there was some, an incoming event and that, as that happened, you reacted with whatever you felt at the time. And you've decided, shall I calm this down with anger or not? And usually we just flip into it so fast we don't notice that process. Well, that is a very, very good piece of advice and actually one that resonates with me because you know, I had somebody in my family who had to have some anger management and right. was told exactly that, was, was told by their therapist, you know, when you feel that flare coming, yeah. just take a moment and say to yourself, does this really matter? Yes. You know, yes. is my reaction proportionate? Sure. And if it doesn't really, really matter to you, don't flare up. Obviously, if it does really matter, then, you know, you've kind of got a green card, haven't you, to go. But I, you know, I noticed immediately that there was a change because that person did actually take that advice on board, which was brilliant. I think it, it can be a really dramatic change when people realise they're making a choice. And they're not just reacting in, a, in an inevitable way. But they've got a whole range of choices when something comes towards them that makes them feel something strange. And the anger is the way they're going to deal with that. Not it, It's not the feeling itself. So there's various things you can do in that moment. Firstly, you can recognize that you're about to choose anger. Do you want to choose it? Can you choose something else? And secondly, you could work out what you are actually feeling rather than anger and sit with that. So you could say something like, you know, I feel really disappointed. I feel really upset. I feel really sad and express that because that's the actual primary feeling that's probably being triggered. When those feelings aren't very pleasant, we push them aside with something. And I, I just want to draw an analogy here with something that sounds a bit dramatic, but it's not really. When people self-harm, and you ask them, why do you self-harm? They say, well, because it gives me a sense of relief. And you say, but isn't it painful? You know, you're cutting yourself. Isn't it painful? They say, yes, it is. And then when you say, well, how can it be a relief if it's painful? They say, well, the pain's quite strong and it stops the feelings that I don't want to feel. So you can use anger. You can use pain. And of course, mm -hmm. you can use pleasure because in the same way that people use anger and, and pain, they can use gambling or sex or, or all sorts of things like that, drinking drugs. So we've just got to find something strong enough to push aside <laughs> yes. what we don't want. Oh, brilliant. James, I love talking to you. Stay right there because I want to come back in a moment and talk about anger showing up in relationships sure. and whether we perhaps have a gender divide sure. when it comes to expressing anger. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. 
PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome. Like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome. Like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Well, James, as I mentioned, I married a man who is half Italian who blamed his heritage for his hot temper. And I suppose there's an interesting point there about how acceptable or encouraged different behaviours are in different cultures and how our characters are very much shaped, perhaps, by society around us. I think that's right. And I think in certain cultures, the expression of anger is more acceptable than others. So, for example, you could contrast Italian culture with, say, Thai culture. A lot of people go to Thailand and come back and say, oh, the Thai people are so peaceful and they never get angry. Well, it's just a cultural value that you don't get angry in public. You know, there, there's, there's a way in which you've, you've lived in a society where that's the value, that's probably how you behave. And I think in Italian society, maybe it's slightly more likely that anger is acceptable. Without stereotyping too much, I think there is a cultural dimension to that. I think there's also very much a, a, a familial one too. You know, so if you look back at your family of origin, you're probably going to find that somebody in your your family was also angry. You, as a kid, learned that that's how they manage their feelings, and you you've then got that even more mm. in your repertoire. Really interesting. I mean, talking about relationships here, what level of anger do you think is acceptable in a relationship? You know, you said that we we're, we're all different. Obviously, when couples get together, they will have had different backgrounds, they will have had different experiences during childhood, and perhaps different levels of tolerance and and accepting what level of anger is is normal. And then when it suddenly tips over 
problem perhaps becomes quite threatening and and worrisome. Do you think we all have a different level of tolerance? We may have a different level of tolerance, but I think you know what is the an acceptable level level of of anger. I I would say you know how about zero and achievable? Do you think? Yes, I do think it's achievable, and I think mm. you know. In the same way, I, I might say to you, what level of lying do you want from your partner? Right, um, okay. It's unlikely you'd say, well, <laughs> I'd like him to tell the truth about 95% of the time. No, mm. we want 100% truthfulness. Mm-hmm. Now, it may be difficult mm. to avoid sometimes lying, and it may be difficult to avoid sometimes being angry, but actually we should aspire to no anger. And if I can tell you why that's possible, it's possible because in other relationships we have, for example, at work, or with our friends, we can express a passionate disagreement, but we don't necessarily have to use anger. So I might say to a colleague, hey, John, I've got to get this report in on Tuesday, mate. It's absolutely urgent. Please let's sit down and let's talk about it now. But I'm not trying to belittle. I'm not trying to humiliate. And I'm not shouting. And I'm certainly not sort of doing that whole angry display. So we can express passionate disagreement, which is inevitable in couples, but we don't have to use anger. If this sounds idealistic, I'm just I'm just as idealistic as, you know, not lying. Yeah, you're, you're making a lot of sense. And I suspect that many people will be in relationships where they're told that their actions are what has provoked the angry response. And, you know, if only they hadn't done what they did, their yeah. partner wouldn't have gotten so angry. So coming back to the idea that angry is always a choice, that kind of narrative then is quite dangerous because it shifts the blame away from the, the kind of, quote, angry person and puts it onto their partner, doesn't it? Absolutely. And you could argue that there is never anything that the partner does where you can honestly claim you made me angry. What you can say is you did X, Y, and Z, whatever that was, and I got angry. That's just a report of the fact I got angry. But you made me angry is just, strictly speaking, That's not very true. very helpful It's, to it's hear, always actually. good to, to know that, you know, your, <laughs> yeah. your choice of reaction is yours and the incoming, okay, that's not a choice. That's just the incoming. But the way you react to it is entirely yours. It's not caused mm. by the other person. And I guess many people who may be either wittingly or unwittingly in some kind of coercive or controlling or gaslighting relationship may be at the receiving end of that because Absolutely. they're told, you made me do this, you made this happen, I hit you because you made me so angry. Absolutely. And the person on the receiving end will often quite, you know, quite regularly interject that and say, well, you know, I guess it was partly my fault because after all I did yeah, say Absolutely. I mean, it's completely wrong. This is not a matter of, you know, being, this is not actually even a matter of ethics. This is just a matter of fact. You know, people don't make each other angry. What they do is there's an incoming event and the person decides to be angry so you know this is this is how it works it's a different view of it really picture hopefully a lot of sort of light bulb moments going off around the country well around the globe where where people are listening to this and perhaps will share this podcast with other people in their lives who do get angry as perhaps a gentle way of of introducing this concept that that it is about you know control and and self-soothing and you know what? What about then? If you're, if you are the angrier one in the relationship, yeah. you know what needs to be talked about within the relationship, so that you can get to a point where that behaviour isn't the default. The first thing you need to do if you're trying to work with your own anger is to try and identify what it is you're actually feeling, 
And quite often, the, the feeling there will be some version of disappointment. And disappointment, not, not in the sort of casual sense of I'm disappointed I missed the program on TV, but a profound disappointment about myself, about you, about our relationship, about life in general, about how things are going, that sort of disappointment. It's a gnawing disappointment. And that is a fairly intolerable feeling, and we can push inside with anger. So if you can recognize what you're feeling, it's then easier to recognize that you have a choice of ways in which you can soothe. Now, you know, anger is, a, is, a, is an effective way of soothing those feelings. But as you quite rightly said earlier on, it's a pretty dangerous way of doing it. And it usually leads to the person feeling remorse. You know, I can't tell you how many clients of mine promised endlessly that they won't get angry like that again. They won't do this again because, you know, they really regret it. And then they just go back into the same cycle. But, you know, one of the things that you do to avoid that is to recognize what you're feeling. Now, that's quite difficult because by definition, the things you're feeling that you're trying to push aside, you don't actually want to even acknowledge, let alone feel. So we, we push them aside quickly and effectively with something strong. And in this case, it's anger. But the thing is, I think the reason that guys suffer more from this than women is probably not just because there's a sort of social script around that says, you know, men are more angry than women. You know, it's a sort of stereotype. But also, I think, because men are not encouraged to look at their feelings in quite the same way as women are. So, you know, men tend to sit on their feelings more. So this whole process of identifying why you're being angry is more difficult for men, mm. I would say. Do you think that that's true, that they become almost like a pressure cooker that has to let off, that, that, that valve has to be released? But it's not a pressure cooker of anger. But yes, I, I think it needs to be released. But, you know, if you decide to release it through anger, that's your choice. You could release it in all sorts of ways. And actually what you're releasing is not anger. You're releasing disappointment, frustration, Yes. Or a feeling of incompetence. Pa powerlessness. Powerlessness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Do you want to give you one example of this, Liz? Because this just makes me laugh, because this is something I do. You know, it's, it constantly amuses me that I do it. I learned when I was, I said when I was about four, that if I was going to put my jacket on, it was a good idea to hold the sleeves of my shirt before I put my jacket on. Otherwise, the, the shirt would, would bunch up in the jacket. And at the tender age of 67, I'm still getting that wrong sometimes. I put my jacket on, <laughs> the shirt bunches up, and I swear at myself. Uh, I, even, <laughs> I even sometimes swear out loud. And, and God forbid if anybody, anybody walks in at that point and says, James, are you having trouble with your jacket? Because they're going to well, have to yeah, okay. snap mm -hmm. Now, what this goes to, and the reason it's so powerful and it's so ridiculous, is because ever since we were about three or four, we are wanting to prove not just to ourselves, but to those people around us, that we can do it, we can function, we're going to be okay as adults. So when we feel incompetent, or you know, even with something simple like motor skills, it's really, it upsets us. And so we go for instant soothing. So that's why I swear at myself when I put my jacket on in a clumsy way. I mean, you know, it's, and it's so quick, I even catch, I do it before I even catch myself. <laughs> Is it your observation as a therapist that women, talking about this gender issue, gender divide potentially, that women are less able to display anger than men? And I mean, does that come back to the point earlier about what's culturally acceptable? I think you're right. I think it's less culturally acceptable for women to be angry. And, you know, I think politically, there's a lot, obviously, for women to be angry about. But this is, we're talking about a slightly different thing here. I think in relationships, 
women have traditionally not felt that they can express or soothe themselves through anger. So they tend to do it less frequently. I mean, I actually think whether it's a man or a woman, as I said, nobody actually needs to use that form of soothing. And there are plenty of other forms of soothing. I mean, you can you can think about having a drink, although that might not be too good an idea. And I certainly wouldn't recommend you go and you know gamble your months. You could go out for a run, me. couldn't you? Well, you could go, go out, go out, go out for a walk. Put, you could put your feet up and punch a book. cushion. You could punch a cushion. Yeah, I mean, you can do all sorts of things which are actually quite benign. Um, I think you can also look at what you're actually feeling and stick with that. So, you know, whether you go in the direction of soothing or you know, self-exploration, you know, that, both of those things. That's interesting because it. I'm picking up quite a push for women to be angrier or, or to have the space perhaps to express their anger, maybe because it hasn't been thought of as a particularly virtuous female trait in the past. Yeah. But, you know, is that important? Does it make us feel more heard? Or do you think we should actually stick with being wiser, a bit more grown up, a bit more self-aware and, and ignoring those feelings of anger? I think there's, there's righteous political anger which would be fantastic to express. And I hope that men would be able to join women in that struggle. But in terms of in relationships, is the expression of anger good for men or women? I don't think it's good for either. And it's not necessary. So I would say learning how to be assertive, clear about what you want, and to argue your position passionately is a skill that men and women mm, both need. Brilliant. Do you think women are perhaps chronic people pleasers? And that might show up also with our, our management of anger that we don't actually show it because we're afraid of actually showing how we really feel and, and that we think that we should be taking care of everybody else first. Yes, and you're not, you're not allowed to answer what you want because that's not particularly nice. And all those things have to be challenged. And actually, if they were challenged, anger would be less necessary. Because if you're, if you're able to ask for what you want in an assertive, clear way, anger's not necessary. So actually, yes, it's good. I mean, it's a good recipe, I think, in general for men and for women to learn how to do that. But it's, you know, not always easy. It isn't. And, you know, as a final word here, I have to say, as a midlife woman, having gone through perimenopause and, and beyond, you know, the shifting hormones, particularly in, in female brains and, and the decline and irregularity of oestrogen of does trigger very intense mood changes and mood swings. And I For can sure. remember experiencing extraordinary flashes of rage. And if at the time somebody had said to me, oh, Liz, you know, I think you need to just express yourself in a slightly different way you know they probably would have got the sharp end of it from me because <laughs> you know do, do you have you experienced that in in your practice that actually perhaps you know women or, or you know the, the female coming as part of a couple in midlife is experiencing a little bit more rage which could be could well be hormonally driven i think it i obviously because anger is something which we experience as a feeling even though it's not a primary feeling because it's associated with, you know, adrenaline and cortisol. Of course, I think men and women can both feel it. I think when there's hormonal changes and a sense of, you know, all the things which are negatively associated with menopause, you know, loss of previous socially acceptable roles and all that, there is a, mm, there's so a huge much. increase in frustration and potentially a feeling of powerlessness. And all this obviously can be expressed through anger. And I think whatever anger we're we're seeing in a in a in a partner or a person, the question is: Is it actually necessary? And I honestly don't really think it is. 
Brilliant. Well, James, you've given us so much to think about. A lot of clarity, as always. I always love these conversations. It's so good to chat. And I love everything that you're writing in the magazine as well. So thank you for being with us today. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a delight. And of course, if you would like more of James's wise, wonderful wisdom, he does write a regular column for us in the Lizelle Wellbeing magazine. And you can subscribe to that at lizellewellbeing.com. It comes in print in the UK with free P&P. It's not available in any store. You have to subscribe. And it's also available digitally and online, especially handy if you are listening to me overseas. Well, if after all that, you are aware that perhaps you'd like to calm your mind a bit, do listen back to the episode with Vedic meditation teacher Gillian Lavender. I caught up with her recently actually and had a one-to-one session. She was absolutely brilliant. And listening to the podcast is exactly what Paula did and she got in touch on Instagram to say I love meditation and it doesn't have to be for a long time. I find a quick five-minute meditation is amazing when feeling stressed. And likewise Zoe says I'm a huge fan of Vedic meditation. I still can't believe the impact on my mind and body. And I have to say, Zoe and Paula, I absolutely agree. It's a terrific technique. If you can get into the habit, it can be really life-changing. Well, if you'd like to get in touch, then I am at Lizelle Me and my team are here at Lizelle Wellbeing on all forms of social media. And we always love reading your reviews on whatever podcast platform you like listening to us on. Make sure you're following the podcast so you know when the next episode of the Lizelle Wellbeing Show is available. And if you'd prefer to listen to that and all future episodes ad-free, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts for a very small monthly fee and you get early access to episodes too. So until the next time we chat, stay calm, stay chilled, go well. Bye-bye. The Liz Earle Wellbeing Show is presented by me, Liz Earle, and is produced by Nushka Tate for Fresh Air Production, with additional production support from Ellie Smith. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.